Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. All the racing I've done, supercars and, uh, you know, all the GT and drifting and all that kind of stuff, I think it all helps. A lot of seat time and having some good times racing, it's, it's a lot of fun. As long as we don't allow some of the lunatics to um, get the keys, then uh, it'll continue to be at the, um, at the forefront uh, through hard work and diligence, particularly on the part of the team owners and investment by them. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Revell. Good evening, Craig. Good evening, Tony. What a weekend it, it will be in two weekends' time. It's the calm before the storm, and for most of us, it's a, a long weekend to ponder the possibilities of what will happen over the course of the Bathurst 1000. It's uh, going to be interesting to see how it all plays out with plenty on the agenda, I'm sure. Indeed, but more than likely, it's like the uh, duck on the water. Everything looks good, but I know the teams are working furiously to prepare themselves when they roll their cars out of the truck at Mount Panorama that they will be ready to run, ready to go out and set uh, possibly even a new record. They're using last year's tyre, but I would think the track would be as uh, good as, if not better, than it would have been last year. It's been rubbered in even further, and you'd have to expect that with... The changes in tyres, it's going to put a gap between the, the very good teams and the other teams, which could be problematic, I think, uh, towards, you know, a little team like Techno going back to back. Yes, indeed. It'll be a question of how quickly those people will be able to get up to speed that them, when the main teams roll out, use their data from last year to go, right, This we're back with the old time, not the new one. Anyway, looking at the agenda for this week, uh, one of the things, uh, of course, we uh, the uh, interviews this week are terrific uh, to say that uh, Tony Quinn joined us, had a great time, uh, Craig and myself uh, discussing not only Hampton Downs and Highlands Park, but Australian GT, the change coming in 2018, where the Australian GT will be managed by Supercars Australia. So Tony gives us his thoughts on that and beyond, where it all takes him. Also today, we're going to be lucky enough to have Kurt Zakzuski giving us his rundown on the last 59 days as he prepares in his role as event manager for the Coates Hire Newcastle 500. A fantastic development. Craig, I'm sure you'll be looking forward to that one as much as I am. I am indeed. It's uh, going to be interesting to see how they're going. Uh, we've talked numerous times about the the uh, backlash that is being reported there, and so with his feet on the ground, he'll give us a great insight into what's actually happening. And uh, I was fascinated uh, when we were talking off air uh, to find out that his family certainly know about building racetracks. Indeed, his grandfather built the uh, built a hill climb first, and then built the lakeside uh, track. Uh, back in the uh, 60s, um, long history in motorsport for Kurt Zagzuski family. Um, and the other uh, news items this week, one was that uh, after a successful couple of shakedown runs for Triple Eight's uh, new ZB Commodore, 
albeit still a V8 engine Commodore, it's not the uh, V6 engine yet, they've actually decided to postpone the uh, aero testing until after the Gold Coast 600, not rushing themselves, getting back to their main game, that is uh, a couple of drivers still in contention for a championship, and no doubt uh, was well looking for that uh, team's championship award. Um, so that's uh, on one side with the new car. Great news uh, for uh, Chaz Mostert, uh, who had a pretty good sand down. And Chaz uh, has been uh, awarded a drive with BMW in their factory team. And he's Macau bound uh, just after, I think it's after uh, the late November, I would think. In a BMW M6, he, did a, he drove uh, this year in a privateer. M6, and they uh, liked what he did, and it's fantastic news for Chaz. I'm really pleased that he's been offered this opportunity. Um, the rest of the, today's show will, as we said, Tony Quinn, which will be back after the break with Tony Quinn. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars. We're lucky enough today at Sandown to be talking with race winner, Mr Tony Quinn, owner, amongst other things, of a couple of New Zealand tracks. He wears both their colours on his jacket here. Harlands uh, Motorsport Park and Hampton Downs. I just wanted to talk today about the changes within Australian GT, the move towards uh, supercars involvement and what it means in the short term and maybe the long term for Australian GT with uh, supercars taking on a management role. Well, um, good question. Um, So basically if you go back about five or six years, Australian GT was in disarray and and it was in a hell of a state, so I, t- I took it on from Martin Wagg, um, who'd done a, a good job for a few years, but it got beyond him, and I took it on foolishly, I think. I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I'd done Coretta Cup before, and uh, I really was helping Martin out, to be perfectly honest, because he was at wit's end. I took it on, and I remember we had eight cars at Homebush. It was a terrible uh, first session, and then it grew and grew, you know, last year or the year before was its best year. Um, this year, um, you know, we haven't seen many new cars. Next year, there's a few new GD4s coming, so that'll be good. But basically, what I felt with the um, with the GTs was that um, I'd taken it as an individual, as far as it needs to be. Yeah, an individual can take it. I'm not in the motorsport business, believe it or not. Although I've got two tracks and stuff like that, I, it's not my, it's not my gig. Um, I'm in the food retail, uh, wholesale manufacturing business. Motorsports is something I do at weekends, but I'd taken it as far as I could by applying my business uh, strategies to it, and it's been very successful. Made money, you know, went from making no money, losing money to making money. Um, but I think, and I've thought for some time 
that for the thing to really prosper, um, that it needed to be run by someone that was in the motorsport business. And the only, the only circus in town really are the V8 supercar, or what do we call them, supercars now. Um, they've got a good business model, they know what they're doing, they're making money, um, and I think for them, it's a good move for them. It, uh, it, takes, it takes away, I guess, a potential threat to their business. I mean, it's quite common knowledge that their Archer Capital would like to sell the supercar business. It's a good business. Um, and I think by them controlling the GTs, um, it takes away any threat of GTs trying to do another Ross Palmer, you know, type thing, which I would never do. Um, but not only that, I think it's good for the competitors, it's, it's good for everybody, good for me. Uh, I can go back to just racing cars rather than thinking about the whole thing. And um, so I think it's the right move. Cams, no doubt, will, um, will approve it and they'll take over the running of it from January 1 next year. Um, so longer term, where do you think it'll be, be going? Have they talked to you about the longer term with it? Well, I, I kind of want to stay out of that because if I get involved in that, then they can blame me for an opinion or something else. I Look, I think they'll do a good job of whatever the future holds. I mean, there's lots of talk about the V8s will become the GTs and the GTs and whatever. I don't believe that to be the case. I think GTs are a global product. And, um, you know, Bathurst 12-hour proves that. But I think the, v, the V8s, the supercars... Um, still have a, a relevance in Australia and a history, a long history. Um, the thing that GTs does for the, v, the supercars is that it brings along a totally different demographic of corporate customer. Um, and I think that's a good thing. It also introduces a lot of the high-end manufacturers into the sport at a good level. And let's be honest, I can be honest and say that, you know, Unless you're a brother of the V8 supercar paddock, it's very difficult to, um, to, you know, to get the best deal out of the weekend. So I believe that for the GT um, family, um, they're going to get better events, better times and, and a better thing altogether. Better than what I could do. <laughs> Under your guise of whether you're saying you're managing it or whether you're just the owner of it, Supercar, no, the, um, GT rather, has done enormous diversification of, of models and, and makes of cars. I mean, just wonderful and you know, people in Australian motorsport were really quite exhilarated by seeing the, the range. And I remember you talking to me last year, I might have been, yeah, I think it was last year, about um, getting the manufacturers involved on the days. And almost having, you told me about it, McLaren at, uh, at Motorsport Park in Sydney, how they had sold a number of cars when they'd come and displayed them. Do you think that's still the opportunity in Australia that, you know, that these manufacturers, Audi and Mercedes and BMW and McLaren? I mean, that's absolutely a fact. And I mean, whilst we were not, again, part of the brotherhood, it gets difficult and expensive to do those things, to negotiate those rights, if you like. Whereas when you're part of the family, it becomes a whole lot easier. And I, I think that's, that could well form part of their strategy to introduce and get involved in more of the manufacturers and more of the public and a different, you know, I call them the dentist set, you know. 
the dentist with a teenage son would come and see the, the GTs. A dentist with a teenage son probably won't come and see the supercars. You know, I'm just say, using that as an example. Um, I think it's a different demographic that it appeals to. And, you know, if the manufacturers get on board, they can come, they can see a race, they can have a corporate thing. I think, I think it's, it ticks all the boxes, to be fair. It's funny you mention that because that's one of the things I've noticed today. I'm seeing, and I know not the, the people, but the type of people, the same ones I've been seeing in the last 20 years. But one of the things that I remember vividly, A1GP at Eastern Creek in Sydney, two years in a row they were there, and I remember seeing people there who normally did not go to motor racing. And they were those nationalities, whether they Ukrainians or Turkish or all those nationalities that came out to see motorsport in Australia. Yeah. That's something that I tried to talk to Cochrane about, the fact trying to get into the rice burner set. You know the guys that put the big cans on the back of their Honda Civics? Those people. Get those people, get new people coming to the sport. That just seems such an opportunity here, as you're talking about. Yeah, look, and I think if you look at the show, the television show and the general show, that the supercars put on, it's world class. There's no doubt it's world class, but they can do so much more if they're involved with a product that opens it up to the, you know, another demographic. Because let's be honest, you know, we all loved Peter Brock, we all loved all of those guys, um, but we've kind of lost that a wee bit now. And the cars all look the same, they sound the same, you know, we know what to expect. Well, I don't know, look, it's up to them how they want to run it. It's not. I want to just step back and take a, by that I mean take a fucking big step back uh, and just let them get on with it. Will you continue to compete? Yes, yes, I, whether it's in GD3 or GD4, um, it may well be in GD4, um, because I personally, I'm 60 years old now, and I feel that the, the commitment for GD3 is huge. I mean, it's often said that we just don't appreciate the aerodynamic downforce that these things have but as when you're a younger guy you can take that risk whereas my age I'm going no I don't need to take that risk <laughs> and I've discovered that the prize money is exactly the same <laughs> whether you're first or last and also the food in the corporate lounge is exactly the same so it makes no difference to me whether the, uh, you win or lose and uh, you know I, I won the race today God bless compulsory pit stops um, and you know, I think that's a good thing about our system. Uh, but whether that remains with the, with the V8s or not, I'm not quite sure. All of those technical. So what the V8s have done is they've set up a commission amongst the competitors and them, and they're going to try and work out the best way forward. So. Now, Tony, last year you, whether you were jaded with supercars or whether you were just wanting a new thing, you did make a decision to move away from being a, uh, a support category and wanted to lead the nationals and the competitive backlash there was quite quite fast and uh, forthright which then saw you make a new deal. Has that worked on you a little bit and is that part of why you now think I'll step away? Yeah undoubtedly that was a contributing factor but I don't want anybody to think that was the reason. Um, it was a mistake uh, not to go and do our own thing last year, it was an absolute mistake and I think the results have shown that um, but it, unfortunately for me I was in a, a, a bad personal space, my eldest daughter 
contracted um, cancer and has since passed away. You know, I, I just couldn't be bothered with all the, the politics and dynamics and stuff. And I blame myself 100% uh, for making the decision to change the rules, if you like. Um, we sh I shouldn't have done it, but I wasn't in a strong state of mind. And um, I, I, I just, I would love to turn back the clock. Um, but who knows what would have happened there. But um, no, look, I, I think um, at the end of the day, after all of that, it may well have been a, a negotiation move as well. You know, let's be honest. It w would have maybe helped with negotiations and put the fear of God up people or whatever. But anyway, what's turned out, I believe, is the best outcome for everybody. And it's where it needs to be. You know, every premier, we're not only a, we're not a support category anymore, we're a brother, which is a huge difference. You took the series from eight cars, running one race every uh, couple of months, <laughs> <laughs> to now three championships. <clears throat> the GT series, the trophy series, and then of course the endurance championship. That's something that you must be proud of. Very, very proud of that, mate. And the guys need to be proud too. I mean, I didn't do it myself. The guys all contributed. The trophy series is very strong. Um, we maybe don't have the sprint and endurance thing just right. But you know, these guys that are in the business should know what they're doing and they'll be able to make the right decisions. If it was me doing it next year, I would probably club everybody back in together because it was a happy family and do 10 rounds of which only six count towards the championship. So, because the trouble with my customer, it's not trouble, but the, the, the thing with my customer is that um, they're all businessmen generally. They've all got families and wives to deal with. It's not, a, it's not their form of income. So they need to enjoy it and it needs to be work for them. And having a race every three weeks or four weeks, whatever it is, that's not gonna work for them. So they need to, if it was me, I would have a big break in the middle of the year. So a busy start of the year and a busy end, but have a big break so that they can take their wives skiing and to Europe and America and whatever else. I think that's, that's what this category uh, would benefit by. Should it all be endurance nah. and longer races or nah. you need that mix? It should be shorter, mate. If I'm in the lead, it should be a two lap race. <laughs> I reckon I can hold them out for two laps. No, look, I don't know. I think a variety. I think that's what I would, uh, I mean, every successful race category has got a variety, you know, I, I think that's what you have to do. And after the break, we'll be back with Tony Quinn. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's Stewart Grand Prix and I just remind myself of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Um, given that 17 is winding down with your final two rounds to come. You've only got the final two rounds in New Zealand to go this year. 
Um, so you've got uh, the excitement of next year to look forward to and the possibility of GT4. Um, there are a bunch of exciting cars coming up there. I can think of things like uh, Mustangs and Camaros and Corvettes and are those the sort of things you're looking at? A crude man would say the cars that supercars wanted to bring in. Yes, and you're quite right. And it's, it's the category that the manufacturers are more likely to get behind. You know, GD3 is almost uh, exclusive or elite. Yeah, um, but the GD4 category is where the people connect and the manufacturers connect. Now, whatever plans the, the guys have got for that, I don't know. Uh, certainly it was my long-term vision that GD4 would be the sprint series and GD3 would be the endurance series. Now, you know, I, I don't know what they might come up with yet, I don't know, but I mean, yet you know, in summary, I think whatever they come up with will be the best thing for the sport. And I'm not their salesman or anything. I just think it's the right thing for the sport and the competitors. And more importantly for me. <laughs> Hampton Downs. Yeah. Two years ago, I think we sat in this tent and you explained why Hampton Downs was not a good move. Two years later, you've just spent millions of dollars uh, making it your second track in New Zealand. Yes. Thanks for reminding me of that. Um, and of course, that all, that's all part of the negotiation stance. You've got to convince yourself of you, that you're making the right move. But anyway, I bought it, and um, you're quite right, spent millions on it. But it's a busy track, it's fully booked, it's got a great membership model, it's close to two million people, whatever. It's got a long-term future, and um, eventually one day, maybe, houses will be there. And, you know, for my great-great-grandson or child, it'll be a great investment that I made. Have you been happy with, because you made a lot of changes, you changed the uh, uh, tracks and, and, and some of the design of it, and obviously the FIA approval was something that held it back. Is it now able to go to FIA approval and, and things like that? No, I, I think the FIA are more than happy with it. I don't know what grade it's got, but they're more than happy with the whole track. But it's important to, to know that every, every dollar I've spent on it since I bought it is giving a double-digit return. And in this day and age, that's not, that's not a bad thing. You know, I mean, the go-karts have worked well, the membership corporate area is working well, the track extension's working well. You know, everything I've done is double-digit. So, yeah, that's when my commercial head kicks in and says, OK, if we can do that, let's do it. So. Is it the same model as what you've got down in Highlands? Or because you're of the location and the location to the numbers of people, it's a completely different model? completely different yeah you couldn't get two tracks that are so far apart as far as business model goes but Highlands is an awesome they've had a great winter um, and e each year it just grows and grows and we change things we shut down the restaurant opened the cafe up a bit more they do a lot more driver training with um, companies and individuals and stuff the memberships very strong down there and um, we're actually very close to announcing, I may as well announce it here, this will be the scoop, the big scoop you've been waiting for. Now I, I'm pretty sure that we're going to build a golf course um, on the land behind Highlands um, and it's not about the golf course, it's about the 200 house sites that are on the golf course <laughs> that make it work. Um, so you're but using obviously, the Hampton Downs model of building housing uh, to attract people to a racetrack. We're, we're speeding up a wee bit, yeah. 
Uh, look, the first time when it was suggested we should build a golf course, I said, not on your life. You know, there's no way that you can do that. Anyway, as the talks went on, it actually made quite a lot of sense. And um, I don't, not many people would know, but uh, golf tourism in central Otago, Queenstown, is now, has now eclipsed the snow business, the ski season. So golf tourism, um, you know, guys go over there for four or five days, they want to play a different golf course every day, the wives go shopping, drinking wine, and it's very popular. And so we're coming in at the end of the, the 20 years that they've taken to build it up, and so we should capitalize on it. So, look, I think, again, it's, um, you know, it's another one of my weird and wonderful uh, concepts or ideas, but it sounds as if it'll work. Daryl Waltrip said to me that when they were building the um, yes. the apartment tower on turn two at Charlotte Motor Speedway, yes. he was offered the penthouse there by Bruton Smith to say, we wanted to say we've got drivers living there. And he laughed at me, he said, who the hell would want to live on a racetrack? What, yeah. He said it was one of the biggest financial mistakes he ever made in his life. Yeah, yeah look, who, that's hindsight though. I could tell you heaps of stories. I would be so wealthy, and so would you, if we could use hindsight, I'm sure. But it's the concept, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. One thing I've wanted to ask you for a number of years, Tony, is... Seven inches on a good night. <laughs> it's very good Sorry. to hear. Very good to hear. Um, is uh, um, Australian New Zealand motorsport. Um, you know, I mean, obviously it was opportunism where you were given the chance to get involved in Highland Park and then Hampton. But there is something about New Zealand motorsport. I mean, I lived there as a kid long before you had even thought of it, knew where it was. Um, and I've always found it over my 20-something years of travelling to New Zealand that New Zealand motorsport is much closer to the surface than it is in Australia. Where people know people in AFL or NRL or one of those sort of things, over there, if you don't know a rugby player, we're nobody, but then you also know somebody in motorsport. Do you find motorsport just much closer to the surface there? Yeah, look, I, I like motorsport in New Zealand. I think it's a lot less uh, political and it's a lot, well, there's still politics, but they're all a friendly bunch. It's like going to rallying. You know, when you go from <coughs> Australian circuit stuff to Australian rallying, the guys are, the teams, uh, the, the camaraderie, it's so much more friendlier, if that makes sense. And it's the same in New Zealand. If you take New Zealand circuit racing, they're a friendlier bunch still competitive and clearly highly talented but but it's a lot more casual and and that, that's what frustrates me too because when you have two racetracks and you're trying to create some form of order or rules about how you run a racetrack you know I find a lot of um, uh, resistance to just sensible change you know they, they basically say well we've always done that you know we've always sat in the fence and throwing our pie papers onto the track. That's what we've always done. You know, I'm trying to change those things. But no, I, I love New Zealand. I, I love New Zealand as a country anyway. I mean, I, the food's good, the people are good, and the weather's good, and the toilets are very clean and plentiful. One of the things I always find about New Zealand motorsport is kids in Australia have got their autograph down pat by the age of 12. Kids in New Zealand don't because they don't have the star system of motorsport. They don't have where, you know, kids aspire. They, from overseas, they'll look and say, oh, I want to go and race in Australia, like a young 12-year-old Shane Van Gisbergen or Fabian Coulthard. 
but they don't actually go through that same system there that we have here, where kids in go-karts are working on their autographs madly on Saturday night when they're age 12, you know. It doesn't happen over there. Yeah, I think they're more real over there. I mean, I, I quite... You know, they've got the Toyota Racing Series and they've got a couple of local guys in that now. And they compete internationally and, yes. and make themselves known internationally. Yes, yes, and you're probably quite right. They don't quite know how to do their autograph at that point. But, you know, I, I, I still think the depth of, of uh, talent in New Zealand, it must be because the roads are twisty and wet or something, but there's something in the water over there that makes them a good driver. And through to you're 70 years old they're still good drivers you know I, I find it quite I was in a race last weekend at Teratonga and you know I loved racing with the guys all right well. now another thing that I learned about you today that I didn't realize is oh. your classic rally I, yeah. I, what you is the next step to try and sort out rallying so they're not no. racing on the same weekend no. as every uh, circuit race in the country no 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 I'm I'm done with sorting anything I'm I've still left with Aussie race cars, which I have to tell you, you know, like with all this rock and roll status and GD3 and V8 supercars and Utes and Dunlop 2 and all the rest of it, you know, you go and race with those guys, there's plumbers and electricians and tradies and lawyers and whoever else, doctors, whatever, they are just a totally different level, great drivers, like the top 10 in Aussie race cars are fucking great drivers. But it's just such, they bash into each other, because you can, and they help each other fix their cars. The, the camaraderie there is, un, they're all in a tent this size, you know, all together, fixing the car. It's just a cool environment. It's how racing should be, you know, really, it, like that grassroots kind of club stuff. It's excellent, and they're pretty good to watch, you know, and they're great to drive, they're unbelievably great to drive. It's, it's such a shock going from a GD3 car with ABS and traction control and wings and slicks and all of that stuff and paddle shifts and all that jumping in a nosy race car it's just incredible it's like driving a tractor but they're so good and they're fast great things to drive. You do notice the difference between uh, first in a nosy racing car and first in a GT in the prize money and the uh, the yes. amenities in the uh, oh, yes. in the, the hospitality. Money. I mean, to be fair, that's where my wealth has come from, is just prize money. <laughs> just out-and-out out prize money. That's how yeah. I've done it. <laughs> Maybe we could just do a little summary, uh, Mr <laughs> Quinn. Um, just, you know, OK, you've got these two racetracks. You've got Aussie race cars. Um, you have a chocolate factory, principally in Sydney. Um, and you've also got the go-kart uh, track in Queensland. Queenstown, um, still got a percentage of the pet food business, doing stuff in America and New Zealand. I, at one point in my career, not so long ago, a couple of years ago, I had 52 operating companies. And from a guy that started with nothing and you know, lived in a caravan for the first 14 years and all the rest of it, there's a book out called Zero to Sixty which they wrote about me, and it's a good, it's a good read. In fact, I can tell you, yeah, I can, this, is, this is another scoop. Yeah. I know for a fact that James Warburton flew to Singapore this week on Wednesday, and his reading material was zero to 60 Tony Quinn's story. I know that for a fact. Did you sign it? I think I did, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> 
well, he's and he'll, interview- he'll come back a changed man, I'm telling you. <laughs> Isn't he interviewing for his new job, Liz? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Do <laughs> <laughs> me. Well, it's been wonderful talking with Tony Quinn here at Sandown, and we look forward to the next instalment in that Quinn episodes. So thank you, Tony. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Fascinating insight into the world of Tony Quinn. He's got a couple of uh, businesses around the world. I think he said 52 different businesses he has, certainly involved in many, many different uh, activities. Wonderful uh, news about Australian GT next year, and it's... uh, likely growth again and then after the break we'll be back with uh, Kurt Zakzuski giving us his rundown on the developments for the Coates High Newcastle 500. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3 I think is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bet Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and been unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Scott Pye and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars this week. We're lucky enough to be joined by Kurt Zakzuski, who in his current role is the event manager for the Coates Hire Newcastle 500. Welcome on board, Kurt. Thanks, Tony. Thanks. Happy to be here. Kurt brings a lot of experience to uh, the job as uh, running the Newcastle event. Um, of course, the immediate one was uh, Porsche, where he was, uh, your role title there was as? Motorsport manager. Motorsport manager. Um, and before that, many years with Supercars uh, Avesco first and then Supercars Australia. And even before that, motorsport that you're growing up happened around. Tell us about your early days in motorsport. Uh, yeah, well, I guess I kind of I got born into it. Um, you know, even before I was on the scene, my uh, my uh, my grandfather had a dairy farm on the north side of Brisbane, and um, he used to like a bit of racing. He had a um, a Porsche three five six Carrera and um, uh, and, and an old um, Plymouth Belvedere that uh, he used to play around with. And uh, when the local circuit closed down. Um, in '59, they, uh, they they built a bit of a hill climb out on the dairy farm, and then when they didn't have a circuit to race on anymore, they decided to kind of join the hill climb up, and, and that then became Lakeside Raceway, and became uh, one of the most attractive and thrilling racetracks in this country. Yeah, well, look, I've, I've, I'm pretty biased when it comes to Lakeside, that I, I think it was one of the, the greatest race tracks, and, and still is. Yep. You know, it had uh, just the, the twists and turns, and it was a real driver's track. Um, you know, people like Mick Dillon always said that if you could learn to race around Lakeside, then you could you could race anywhere. Indeed. I was fortunate enough to have the very last race meeting that Supercars raced there. Um, Dick Johnson making his debut in a brand new DJR car. I did laps with Dick and it was quite something. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and still remember it vividly now. Okay, so from those early days where you learned about obviously running events and the things intrinsically you need to do and make sure happen, both from a spectator and from a competitor's point of view, you then joined Supercars. Supercars, and what year did you join? So I started with Supercars, I do remember the exact date, it was February 4th, 2002. Wow, wow, February 4th, okay. So back then Supercars, uh, I think I was staff member number 17. Yep. Um, 
and there was there was 14 staff on the Gold Coast. So Tony Copeland there as chairman, Wayne Caddick as CEO, um, and uh, there was just a, a small team there, and uh, and we had a I think we had a, a, a one staff member in Victoria and one in New South Wales, and that was it. And you saw in that time period. Um, the the amazing growth of supercars, not only in terms of the spectators at the tracks, but also the events. You saw the introduction of, uh, first of all, uh, well, Adelaide would, of course, been already going when you arrived. Uh, so that was an amazing event for you to actually look and see how that one ran. Yeah, no, look, I mean, uh, you know, getting to see the inside workings of an event the size of Adelaide was, uh, was always uh, going to be impressive. But uh, you've seen that and then, you know, uh, the Hamilton Street Race, the birth of that um, was, was very exciting, you know, something very new to put put on in New Zealand. Yep. And then, of course, in 2009, when supercars added Townsville and and Homebush, uh, two street races in the one year, Yes. Um, you know, what, what supercars started with the event side of the business running, you know, one or two events, um, then very quickly spawned into to nine, um, which has now become ten, so... Yeah, indeed, indeed. All right, well, the reason specifically we wanted to talk to you today was about uh, Newcastle and the development, how it's travelling. Obviously, um, it's getting closer. It's, I think it's uh, 60 days now, roughly. Is that right? 59. 59, yeah. OK, I've, dropped, I've lost one. 59 days to the event. Um, so what are the intrinsic things that Newcastle has that uh, you haven't come across before? And what are the things that you have to bring to that event? people are going to see in Newcastle that you don't see in any other street circuit, you know, or the traditional type street circuits. We'll sort of leave Bathurst out of this at the moment, but compared to the other street circuits being Adelaide, Townsville, Gold Coast um, and Homebush, is, traditionally street circuits are very flat. Yep. That's not the case in Newcastle. In Newcastle between turn one and turn two uh, the rise is about 22 metres um, and, then, uh, and then you know, down turn two into Shortland Esplanade um, it comes back down, uh, back down about another 10 metres, then goes up again and then back down again. So um, there's quite a lot of rise and fall in the circuit. Um, there's a real range of corners. There's a couple of, a couple of long straights, the main straight itself, obviously, but then between turn one and turn two up Watt Street, it's a big long straight. Then uh, a bit of a, a twisty, almost like a, you know, a set of S's coming down Shortland Esplanade. Yes. Then into a, a very, very straight 90 degree left, right, left section. Um, before it leads back out onto Nobby's Beach Road and then down into a big hairpin. So the the series of roads around here at Newcastle have lent themselves to, to creating a, a pretty exciting racetrack and then with the addition of the hairpin down at uh, Horseshoe Beach, um, that's added just that, that last element that the circuit probably didn't have. Um, and so like I said, you've got some, some great passing opportunities. As we know, you know, some nice high-speed straights coming into slow corners. Um, there's some tricky sections that drivers are really going to have to get their head around how to get the most out of the car. Um, the, the, the paving and everything of the new circuit's all happening as we speak. So, you know, when the guys come here in November, um, you know, it's, it's all going to be very fresh for them, uh, all laid out, and um, they're going to have to, you know, do a, a good job to figure it out quickly. It, it has one similarity with Townsville in that it has both a built-up area well, not there's much built-up area in Townsville, but it has that very open circuit style down near the uh, the parkland. 
Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, over half of the circuit actually runs through around open parklands area. So that's great from the spectator's point of view that you can put in grandstands, viewing areas, um, all along the main straight, along the water's edge. You, you know, the general admission public will be able to stand along there and, you know, look down onto the grid and, and into the... Um, the, the pit lane area, so I think that's going to be a really cool feature of this circuit. Um, and also that it's got water, you know, it's sort of hemmed in by water as well. It's effectively on the peninsula there at, yes. at Newcastle. So, you know, the, the vision that you'll see uh, of these cars weaving their way down Shortland Esplanade with the beach and the surf in the background, uh, you know, in November it'll be summer, the sun's shining, it, it, it's going to look amazing. I think, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised that exactly how great Newcastle uh, actually looks. Um, you know, it's not it's not the steel town that people think it is. There's, yeah. there's a lot of things happening here in Newcastle, uh, and the supercars race is just one of those uh, one of those projects that's really going to you know help you know just elevate Newcastle in the minds of a lot of people. I haven't attended the uh, the motocross race, which they hold uh, in part of that parklands. It's a much smaller track, of course, yeah. but I, I've met yep. met the chap who runs it. I can't think of his name. Motor. Yeah, fantastic, and he gave me an enormous amount of interest uh, and, and gave me a great feeling about the event. I've seen it since this year's uh, was on uh, SBS a short time ago. Uh, did you attend that event? Did you see that? No, look, I didn't get a chance to go to Graham's event this year. Um, but you've seen it in the past, have you? Or? Yeah, yeah, no, look, I've seen, I've seen footage of it in the past. Um, look, you know, the great thing about Newcastle is they've identified that, that foreshore parkland area as, a, as an event space. It's where they hold their uh, Anzac Day celebration. Um, yeah. They've had concerts down there before um, and all sorts of festivals. So it's a, <clears throat> it's a great sort of community area. And um, one of the great things about this project of bringing the supercars race to Newcastle is not only are we putting on a, a fantastic race every year for you know, at least the next five years, but also the uh, the civil works project that the council's engaged supercars to um, to complete in the lead up to the event. See, not only the the area be sort of I guess prepped for ideal sort of racing conditions, but also you know it's increased the amount of car parking, it's improved the the accessibility in terms of footpath widening and all those sort of things. So once the race, you know, is completed for the first year and we pack up all our equipment and take it away, what's left behind is actually a more usable, safer, you know, um, you know, better version of that area that's there for the Newcastle residents to enjoy all year round. And as I said, you know, have multiple events there during the year, including that supermoto event. When I met last year with the, the mayor, Nuitali Nelms, uh, she went to great um, pains telling me about the community uh, in, in interest, but also uh, the opportunity they were giving the community, to, both supercars and also the council, to get their feed, feedback, um, to get their input into what was going to happen. Now, I understand there's been some uh, recent um, noise level readings. Uh, has there anything shown up there that is a particular problem more so than uh, in other events you've been involved in? No, look, it's, 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 it's not really any different to other circuits. We, we have the street races at, but uh, I guess in Newcastle, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, new, it's a new circuit. Um, there's, there's a lot of people in this area that probably aren't as um, up to speed uh, in terms of what it means to have a supercars race. So there was, there was some concerns about what the noise levels would be like, and you know, we've gone and done a, a, an assessment and done some modelling using consultants of you know, what the noise levels will be. And, uh, and then we've been able to advise people. And, you know, there's a couple of areas where it will be quite noisy. Um, 
out going into the weekend and they know, you know, if they um, if they don't want to be around that noise, that, you know, that's where it's going to be and, and, and where they need to put themselves or, or basically just, you know, work out their weekend. Um, but look, you know, in, in terms of community and, and the support that the, the council and, and also even the, the local paper have run their own surveys in terms of support for the event and I think it's always come out sort of in the 80 to 90 percent of uh, of the respondents for those surveys have said that they they absolutely 100 percent know, behind the actual event and uh, and can't wait to see supercars here on the streets of Newcastle. And it, and it should be amazing. Just as a matter of a aside, I don't know if you had had time to actually watch some of the GWS Richmond match at the MCG last weekend, um, but they actually hit a DB rating of 126 at one point. Some very enthusiastic. Crowd, yeah. <laughs> As you all know, you know, the standard CANS regulations is that, you know, a race car can't be over 95 decibel yeah. distance of 30 metres. So, um, you know, the, uh, the the crowd there at, the, uh, at a football game certainly uh, putting in the high numbers. Indeed. Speaking of numbers, do you have a projection on what you think will be a, a crowd size for the three-day event? Uh, in terms of a, a crowd number? Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, we're, we're sort of looking around, you know, just, just as a round number, around 150,000 over the three days. Um, you know, that's we since we first launched the tickets back in April um, with the community day here in Newcastle, we've had a huge response from the local community. Um, and then, of course, we've also got all our supercars fans from around Australia and New Zealand that are dead keen to come to our, you know, I guess, our first new circuit in eight years. Um that people can come to and, and, and experience somewhere different and you know it's a great great place to come to in summer and Newcastle's got beautiful beaches and uh, you know and great restaurants and hotels so uh, I think you know the the interest we've seen to date and certainly the, the numbers that are coming in in terms of ticket sales corporates through the roof uh, we're looking at having more corporate um, patrons at Newcastle than what we have at the Gold Coast event um, yep. grandstands have also been selling really strong as well we actually had to find space to put a new one in so we switched out an extra 460-odd seats to our grandstand build the other week. So, yeah, everything's definitely pointing to um, this being, uh, you know, a very, very solid event. Um, and, uh, yeah, we can't wait to see it all happen come November. I, I'm certainly looking forward to it, um, having been there and, and recently to uh, to check out what it will potentially going to be like. I'll also be at the last of five weekends of consecutive motorsport for me, um, doing both the GTs, um, Coffs Harbour, and then, uh, of course, the penultimate round at Pukekohe before Newcastle. So I'm looking forward to, to that, and it should be amazing. So, Kurt, best of luck. We will check in with you in a month or so when you're uh, only uh, days to go, so to speak. Um, but thank you so much for being on Inside Supercars this week. We'll look forward to uh, being and seeing the uh, event and uh, seeing it all happen. Uh, thanks very much, Tony. And we uh, we look forward to welcoming you and, and all our fans here at Newcastle to uh, yeah, what we know is going to be a very fitting finale to the 2017 season. It should be a treat. Thanks, Kurt. And that's it for another Inside Supercars, Craig. It certainly uh, covered a variety of subjects today and always interesting to uh, listen to people who are involved at the very highest level in motorsport in Australia. Indeed. And, uh, well, I guess our Bathurst preview is what's going to highlight the show next week. And, of course, uh, we speak to the author, Gordon Lomas, about Kings of the Mountain, his new book that's on sale now. 
In fact, Gordon, so this is the second book about the mountain, he wrote one, The History of the Bathurst Track, Mount Panorama Track, which was a fascinating insight into that world, and it'll be uh, interesting to talk with him and get the full story on the kings of the mountain. So thanks from Inside Supercars and good night from me. Good night from him. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.